The hope of heaven that we sing about today is possible to experience some semblance of that in this life because of Jesus Christ. In that you can have a relationship with him that puts you at peace with him. And through that relationship with Jesus Christ, you and I can live out our faith. And that's what James talks about here in his letter. His letter that he wrote as the pastor of the church in Jerusalem to the people of that church and and to others who would read it. And of course, it's preserved for us to read today. That faith works. The faith of Jesus Christ for salvation continues on in our lives. And yes, we can live out what we may call a little bit of heaven on earth. That we can live for the glory of God, not in our own strength, but in his. And here in James chapter 4 today, we're going to be looking at what James continues to talk about and, and, and to um, really kind of go after some of the sin that was going on in that church. And, and, and we may see it even in our own lives. And so let us ask God to use his word in our hearts today. In James chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. Who are you to judge another? James here talks to us today about the indicting speech that we so often find in our lives and how that doesn't resonate with the life of one who knows Jesus Christ as their Savior and lives to his glory. Father, we again thank you for the opportunity to open your word today to uh, study it together, to see what it has for us. We ask today that you would speak to us through your word, that you would use the powerful, living word of God to chip away at our hearts, to show us how we fail to be like you. But then, Lord, would you give us the hope that you don't leave us there, that you don't leave us in the conviction, but you offer to us the power to see our lives transformed through the living word of God. And we ask today that you would change us, that you would search our hearts, that you would try us and know us, that you would make us more and more like you. Lord, I pray for one who is here today who is struggling with, what does it even mean to have a relationship with God? How do I get that? How do I see that power in my life? Lord, would you show them today that you are the lawgiver, you are the judge, but you are also the sacrifice who offers them eternity with God. May everything be done to your honor and your glory, and may you be lifted up and praised today. In your name we ask. Amen. Rumors are very powerful things. In fact, most often, the rumor is way more entertaining than the actual truth. Now, it may be something trivial, like a famous athlete who changes teams, and maybe you you begin to think, maybe he'll come and play for my favorite team. Or maybe it's over the release of a new product that you've been dying to get a hold of. However, the power of rumors and the power of speech is often felt in words not said about what might happen or something like a product or something, something of that nature, but of things that are said about another person. Words like, well, you know, or I heard, or perhaps did you hear the one about, often these words preface these types of engagements about another person. Sometimes these words have the audacity to be masqueraded as something else with something like, well, we really should be praying for so-and-so because, 
Words are powerful. Through words, we reveal the status of our own hearts. A picture may be worth a thousand words, but your words give others the truest picture of who you are. And what God and we know to be true is seen by others in what we say. Rebellion against God and his established orders manifesto is written on the tongues of sinful man. And when we attack others with our words, we usurp God's authority and God's purpose for our lives. And here in James 4, James has dealt with, through this entire chapter, this topic of living humbly before God and the consequences of failing to do so. Living a life consumed with self and living a life consumed with pleasure leads to strife with God that manifests itself in strife with others. The goal of a Christian should be to draw near to God in humility, James says, living close to him. So having given the promises and the processes of a close relationship with God, which James does in verses 7 through 10, and we looked at that last time we were in this passage, James now turns again to interpersonal issues that arise when we fail to live humbly, drawing close to God, and instead we live in a way that exalts self at the expense of tearing down others. And what James says is our own speech indicts us and it reveals a heart that's clouded with sin instead of conforming to the likeness of our Savior. And what we see in this passage is that because slanderous speech is rebellion against God's reign and God's law, I must seek his help to live in his love in all that I do and say towards others. The way we speak very quickly shows what's going on in our heart. And if we speak in a way towards other people or about other people that is slanderous and undermining to them, we are in direct rebellion against God. And therefore, we must come to the conclusion, we must, we must realize that if we are going to show the love of God towards other people, not in just what we, we say, but what we do, we're going to need his help. We're going to need to submit ourselves to the lawgiver, to the judge, as James calls him in verse 12. And really, we're just going to look at these verses in turn today and see two different things. One, that slanderous speech violates God's law, and that two, slanderous speech violates God's role. So let's look at verse 11 here and talk about this idea that slanderous speech violates God's law. And James talks about how we need to be careful of evil speech spoken against others. He says, do not speak evil of one another, brethren. James introduces here the topic of sin, of, uh, the sin of slanderous speech with admonitions about fellow Christians. And again, James uses these, this word brethren or brothers, and when he uses that here, he's speaking as, as one who knows Jesus Christ as, a, as Savior to others of the same, to fellow brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ, to fellow Christians. You see, there is a certain way God expects us to operate when it comes to those in the kingdom. He expects us to act in a way that's consistent with his character towards everyone, but especially those who are his own. And very pointedly, James addresses speech that ought not be employed by Christians towards other Christians. And certainly these things should not be said by Christians toward those who are not. He very, I mean, just out and out commands, do not speak evil of one another. 
The word evil here, or it says do not speak evil, it means to speak against, literally to slander another person. And it is a mindless, derogatory speech that is directed against other people. The word of God is full of warnings against speech. And it's full of negative examples of these things. James himself, in James chapter 1 and in James chapter 3, has already dealt with the tongue on multiple occasions. And in the first 12 verses of chapter 3, we get this entire treatise on the tongue. Slander is at the root of many sinful accounts in the scriptures. Satan, at the very beginning, employed this tactic in the Garden of Eden. Look at the passage here in Genesis chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. And the serpent said to the woman... You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And that's just a snippet of the larger passage there in Genesis 3, but Satan spread lies about God's intention, and what he did is he began to call into question God's goodness in order to make sin more enticing. He was slandering God, that God is holding out on you, and what he really says, you're, you're going to die, that's not really what's going to happen. No, no, you won't die. Instead, you'll be just like God. And he slanders God and his holiness. We turn over to 2 Samuel, and we meet this guy named Ziba. Ziba is the servant of a man named Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth was the son of Jonathan. And if you haven't followed the connection, Jonathan was a friend of King David. and And Jonathan was the son of King Saul. And when David became the king of Israel, he showed kindness to Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan. But when David was fleeing for his life from his son Absalom, who was trying to take over the kingdom, we read this in 2 Samuel 16, 3. Then the king said, and where is your master's son? He's looking for Mephibosheth. And Ziba said to the king, indeed, he is staying in Jerusalem. For he said, today the house of Israel will restore the kingdom of my father to me. Now, if you know the story of Mephibosheth, then you might know Mephibosheth was lame. He couldn't walk. And so he was dependent on other people to help him in the things that he needed. And what really happened in this story is that Ziba abandoned him and went out and slandered his name to David. And upon further investigation, when David would return, many chapters later we read of the return of David and his interaction with Mephibosheth, the whole truth comes out. And the proper punishment is meted out to Ziba because of that. But until that time, one must wonder what types of attitudes David carried for Mephibosheth to whom he had been so gracious. We meet a man named King Ahab. And King Ahab was the king of the northern kingdom of Israel after the split of of the two kingdoms. Ahab was a very wicked man, and he was married to an even more wicked queen, Jezebel. And Ahab longed and pined for the vineyard of a man named Naboth. And Jezebel, his sinful wife, hired slanderers as part of their plot to acquire this. In 1 Kings 21, 13, and two men, scoundrels, came in and sat before him. And the scoundrels witnessed against him, against Naboth, in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth has blasphemed God and the king. They took him outside the city and stoned him with stones so that he died. These scandalous lies literally cost a man his life. Other accounts throughout the scriptures exist, such as slander spoken against the Israelites and their leaders as they returned from the exile in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, or take the words of Haman against the Jews in the story of Esther. 
And what you find time after time is this. Slander is not a victimless, harmless crime. And its impact is always felt in greater ways than the initial encounter. Sin has always has a rippling effect. That when you and I commit sin, it's going to ripple out from our lives and it's going to affect other people. Sometimes that, 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 that circle is smaller than we think it might be, but other times we think it's, it's, there's not really anybody who's going to be hurt by this, and yet the ripples are felt far away from our own personal lives. In the privacy of your car, your home, your phone call, or your text message, it's easy to think that slandering another person isn't that big of a deal. But what you've done is you've just destroyed the character of another person to someone else. And now, that person will think of those things about the person you spoke about whenever they see them, or they hear them, or they think about them. It may even cause them to experience real physical consequences because of what was said about them. The things said about others in this manner are often at least partially even false. Sometimes it's an outright lie. We read the story of, of, this, of Naboth there. The things they said about him weren't even true. And it cost him his life. Now, it may contain parts of truth. right? The best lies, the best slanderous things said about other people often contain nuggets of truth that are conveniently altered to fit the narrative of whoever's speaking it. At the very least... The things that are said about another person without them being there are said by a third party who has no knowledge firsthand of what's going through the head of the person they're talking about. They don't know the the, the life circumstances and the things that are there. Very simply, James says this, don't engage in it. Do not speak evil of one another. Refuse to speak about others in a way that will demean and degrade their character. Refuse to cut down other people for the benefit of yourself. The world is already going to do that to the followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The world railed against Jesus and his ministry. The world attacked the prophets and their messages from God. The world will persecute and will lie about the followers of God because that is what wicked, sinful man does. They attack that who, they attack the one who created them and who holds them accountable. And they attack his followers. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 50, verses 19 and 20, You give your mouth to evil and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. The world will stop at nothing to get ahead. And if you don't believe me, buckle up because we're about to enter an election season this year in the state of Michigan. And every politician will have drowned at least five cats by the time you turn the TV off after watching Wheel of Fortune, okay? It's just how we operate. It's how our world thinks that we're going to get ahead by if we say negative things about another person. If I want that promotion at work, I just need to go after the guy who's ahead of me. 
If I, if, I don't want, if I don't like my neighbor, I don't want other people to like him, I just need to say some things that are conveniently placed here or there. If I'm mad at somebody else and I want somebody to be on my side, I just need to say these words in the presence of these people and I'll be on the good side. The speech of a Christian is supposed to be different. Because gone is the self-serving, self-vindicating, and self-focused mentality. And in Jesus Christ, a new pattern of speech is to be found. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 29 through 32, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for, ne- for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. In this passage, we see the transformation found in Jesus Christ. Our words and our actions in him are transformed. They are changed from one thing into something completely different. And this is because our hearts have been changed. If you remember what James said on the tongue, he has said that the tongue is just a reflection of of what's going on on the inside. And so the one who is, who is speaking evil of another one is, is one who is, is judging him. Your slanderous speech reflects a heart that has passed judgment on someone else and has condemned them. James says, he who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother. James spoke against this idea of judging others already in his, in his letter. But here, judging and speaking collide again. And when we pass judgment on someone else and we deem them unworthy or we deem that to be wrong or we deem this or that, that we are passing that judgment over them. And what you feel in your heart comes out on your lips. And so, the way to avoid speaking ill of others isn't to bite your tongue is to ask God to change your heart. John MacArthur said it this way, the first step in avoiding the sin of slander is not keeping one's lips sealed, but keeping one's thoughts about others right. Slander is found in the pattern of a life of one who is a, as James called him at the first part of chapter 4, a friend of the world and who is not living in humility before God. This is truly evil speech towards others. And to fix this issue, we must go back and look at how we live according to God's word. See, what James is is dealing with, he deals first with, "This this is what you should not be doing. Do not speak evil one of another. But what he's dealing with is the fruit. See, there's a greater heart issue at play here. As he continues on, he says, and judges his brother, speaks evil of the law. And judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. So to judge and attack others, we we see the evil speech against others. But what we're seeing is there's an evil speech against God's law. Because to judge others is to judge and attack their creator and his ways. James states that, that what we express about others reveal what we think about God and his law. What you say about another person created in the image of God communicates what you think about their creator. 
Slandering others is judging God's law as unworthy to be followed. If you think about the law of God, most likely you would think about, some, you would think about something like the word commands, right? Because there certainly are a lot of those in the law of God. But when Jesus was pressed by the self-righteous religious leaders, what did Jesus say was the most important commands in the law of God? Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40. Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. The word hang there means depends. Everything about the law and everything in the scriptures depend on a supreme love for God and a selfless love for others. So let's just take, if we might, for just a few minutes here, let's take the Ten Commandments and interpret it the way Jesus says to interpret it through this idea of love the Lord your God above all else and love others as yourself. The first of the Ten Commandments we find in Exodus chapter 20 says, You shall have no other gods before me. It is obeyed in loyal, devoted love to God alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. The second one, you shall, make, you shall not make for yourself a carved image, is obeyed in faithful love for God who cannot be made from man's hands. Or the third, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, is obeyed in a zealous love for God For our great God, who is above all else, and that zealous love jealously guards his name and his character against cheap usage of it. We do not let that proceed from our mouth, even cross our minds. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy is obeyed in loving God so much so as to purposefully set aside time to worship him the way he expects to be worshipped. Honor your father and your mother is obeyed in love by being submissive to them, obeying them, and holding them up in the place that God has placed them in our lives. You shall not murder is obeyed in loving others the way God does and not taking their God-given life from them. You shall not commit adultery is obeyed by being lovingly loyal to the spouse God has given you, or loving someone so much that you would never try to lure them away from the spouse that God has given them. You shall not steal. Is obeyed in love by being thankful for what God has given you, or being loving towards others and genuinely being appreciative of how God has blessed them. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor is obeyed in loving others enough to tell them the truth and loving God enough to speak the truth as God always does. And you shall not covet is obeyed in love by selflessly loving others and thereby rejoicing in God's blessings to them without having to have the same things yourself. Truly, the law of God is fulfilled in what James called the royal law earlier in his letter. That you shall love your God supremely and love others selflessly. In those things, the law of God is fulfilled. And when we speak evil against other people, not only are we judging them, we are judging God's law. We're saying, yeah, God, I know you said that, but 
I don't really have to follow it here. I can speak however I want. I can think whatever I want. And when we slander others and we speak evil of them, we're placing ourselves not only above that person as a judge, but we are placing ourselves above God and his law. At salvation, the law of God, we, we looked at this in the last couple of weeks in Hebrews, the law of God is written on the heart of mankind at salvation. And through his Holy Spirit, he helps us to live for him. But that does not mean at the moment of salvation, we completely eradicate that old man and his love for sin. Indeed, it is still with us, is it not? And every once in a while, or more often than we care to admit, he rears his ugly, sinful head in our lives. And in sin, we take pleasure in placing ourselves above God, calling the law of supreme love for God and selfless love for others evil and opting out. Because that's, in reality, what we're doing. Saying, God, I know you said that, but I, it's not really a big deal. It's, it's, it's evil. We don't have to follow that. And this violation of God's law is an automatic indictment in our own lives. Instead of becoming a doer of the law, our speech makes us guilty in the presence of God and his law. Instead, we set ourselves above it, becoming its judge. And so, slanderous speech violates God's law. But it goes a step further. Because in so doing, we not only violate the law of God, we violate the role of God in his law. In verse 12, James continues and says, There is one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. Who are you to judge another? We must recognize that God alone is the judge. We take the judgment of others into our own hands and we speak against them. We not only place ourselves as judging God's law, but we also place ourselves in God's rightful position. James makes it very clear at the beginning of verse 12, there is one law giver. And really a better translation from the, from the, from the text is there is only one lawgiver and judge. What is meant by these two words? Well, the word lawgiver is literally what it sounds like. It's the one who put the law in place. A word you, might, we might, you and I might use for it is a legislator. God, as the sovereign creator and holy God above all else, is the one who puts these things in place. He's the one who says, this is how the world works. This is how you operate. He set forth the expectations of what is right and what is wrong. But it doesn't stop there because he's not only the legislator, but he is the applicator of the law as its judge. In our first world American system, theoretically what's supposed to work, right, is that one group sets the laws and the other interprets and enforces the laws. That's not how it works in the system of God. God does not enlist our little Christian selves to go around enforcing the law of God, right? God is the judge. He is the lawgiver, and he has the final say. And as such, all authority and all power belong to him. He is the only one, James says, who is able to save and destroy. At the end of your life, you will stand before the judge. Not, not a judge, not an appointed judge, the judge of all the earth. God himself. And if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ alone, 
you will find salvation that he promises. You will find eternal life in him. Why? Because at that judgment, it is not your works that are brought before him, but the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And you will enter eternity. If you haven't, and you instead stand before him in your own works, in your own sin, you will be sentenced to an eternity in hell, separated from God and paying the punishment for your sin. The judgment between those who have trusted Christ and those who haven't trusted Jesus Christ belongs to God alone. No man has that authority, only God. And when we engage in the slander of another person, we usurp the authority of God in our lives. God alone knows the heart of man. He is omniscient. And and that, that truth, that God is omniscient and God is the only one who knows our hearts, is a comfort and a challenge to our lives. One, it's a comfort because maybe you have been in a situation where your intentions really were good, where you really were trying to follow God, where you really were trying to do what was right, and someone else has judged you, and someone else has come down on you, and it's between you and the Lord, and you know you were in the right. And it's a comfort, right, that I don't have to make it right. God's in charge. Maybe you've been on the other side, though, and this is where it is a challenge, that you put on the best face you possibly could, and you said all the right things when your heart wasn't truly right. God is the judge. He knows. And you can't sneak it past him, even though you can sneak it past every other person in your life. You cannot sneak anything past God. That's why it is a comfort and a challenge to our lives. That God is the omniscient judge. And if we say one thing with our mouth, but we do not serve him with our hearts, we will face consequences from him. And if we engage in sin, even we think no one else will know, God does. We are not this omniscient God. So James rhetorically asks, who are you to judge another? Right? I mean, look at us. We're finite, frail human beings. We cannot possibly judge other people. We cannot possibly know everything that God does. No, what are we called to do? We are called to humble ourselves before God and draw near to him. And you and I cannot draw near to a God who we judge in our hearts. You and I cannot draw near to a God whose law we want nothing to do with. We are called to cleanse ourselves through his help of our sin. And when we slander, we judge and exalt ourselves in pride above others. And in Jesus, God gave us the ultimate example. Let's talk about that, about the example that God gave to us. Because living according to God's law, living according to the the supreme law of of loving God above all else and and loving others as ourselves, isn't just a way to live. It is the only way to live. And when it comes to living like Christ, we don't get to pick and choose what we like and don't like. You know, one of my favorite things as a youth pastor, was to take these teen guys to, like, the buffet and just turn them loose, right? The pizza buffet, you know, where the pizza tastes like cardboard, but, you know, you could just fill them up, right? And when you go to a buffet, all of you who have kids know that your kids go right for the salad bar and for the broccoli and the carrot, right? Yeah, right. If we could pick and choose what we want, we pick and choose all the things that we like the best, right? I mean, 
I'm sorry, I don't go to the Golden Corral to eat carrots, okay? The law of God isn't a buffet. You don't get to pick and choose what you like. The law of God and living like God isn't a, well, today I'll live like God and tomorrow I won't. No, the law of God, the, the, the new life of, in, that Jesus Christ gives us is a calling to a new life every day. To live out the gospel in all of our interactions. So all praise to God that what we are, we are sinful. But by God's grace, we can be saved and changed, we used that word earlier, transformed into something we are not. If you know the Lord, you're called to live like him. And here's the greatest truth. God does not call us to do anything that he doesn't do himself. I mean, how many of us strongly dislike people who are the do as I say and not as I do people, right? It's really hard to get behind that. God is not that way. He deals with us in his love, even as he stands as the ultimate judge. Jesus on earth lived out God's love perfectly on earth. Now, someone may say, but didn't Jesus deliver some hard, evenly seemingly harsh words and rebuke and correction? Yes, he did. And that's where we see the difference. You see, this passage here is not telling us not to speak the truth in love. In fact, God has given us his way for dealing with sin in the lives of other people. The admonition not to slander others is not a ban on speaking to those who have sinned. In fact, Jesus was very clear in Matthew 18 on how that was to be done. In Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17, he said, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses to hear even the church, let him be to you as a heathen and a tax collector. There are times when you will have to confront sin in the life of another Christian. You know, a lot of times if you're married, that, you, you live with that person who's going to confront you and you're going to have to confront them. The way not to do it is not to talk about it behind their backs. Well, let me tell you what just happened this week. Now, that's, not, that's not what we're talking about. We cannot help other people by tearing them down. The way to do it is to go to them privately and in love express these things. It is possible to speak even the hardest truth with the greatest love. In fact, Jesus says that if you go to this one who has sinned against you and you speak to him and he hears you, you have gained your brother. You have gained his trust I guarantee you that you will not gain the trust, love, or relationship with your brother with things like, you know, we've been talking about you. Or, you know, people are saying. James says, don't engage in that type of behavior. If you or someone you know has issue with someone else and they refuse to deal with it biblically, they are in sin. Plain and simple. You either deal with it the way God says to, or you deem it coverable by the love of God in your life. Peter wrote about that very fact in 1 Peter 4, 8. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude 
of sins. Truly, if we love others the way God loves us, there will be things that others may say or do that that even are against us that in love we just forgive and we move on. But if a pattern of ungodliness continues and wrong is continuing to be done, we must be willing to handle things properly. James's commands against slander do not prohibit the proper dealing with sin, but they prohibit instead the improper and the reveling in sin. And so when it comes to, to having issues with other people, there is a way to deal with it. And that's not what James is prohibiting here. But instead, we have to be willing to go to them and to work through it in a biblical way. And you know, if we're going to refuse to listen to slander, we also refuse to, 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 when we hear someone else who says, you know, I'm having a real issue with so-and-so, we need to look them, be willing to look them in the eyes and say, then you need to go talk to so-and-so, because that's what God says we're to do. And you don't say it in mean or in spite, you don't take your Bible and beat them over the head with it, but you just have a real relationship, Right? And say, look, God wants you to to deal with that in a biblical way. Also, James's, James's commands against slander do not prohibit from discerning the fruit of one's life. Even that's seen in what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18. That if someone exhibits sinful behavior time and again with no remorse and no willingness to change when they are lovingly confronted with the truth of God's word, there is cause to give that person no credence in your life. Because Christians are, not called, are called to not take their cues from a lost and sinful world. And one who does not live in a godly way shows that he is either far from the Lord and living according to his flesh or does not know the Lord at all. And you know what that becomes? That becomes a redemption, a redemptive relationship. To try to win them back to the Lord, to try to show them their sin, or, or really probably to try to win them to Christ so they may not know him at all. And one who does not wish to live like God is not one from which we gain spiritual encouragement and challenge. And James' admonitions here also do not prohibit us from preaching the gospel. Indeed, those who do not know the Lord need to hear the message of salvation, as Paul wrote in Romans 10, 14 and 15. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how should they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Giving someone the truth that they are a sinner and they are separated from God and in need of his salvation is not slander, it's love. But talking about how stupid people are and making fun of the lost because of their sin isn't love, it's slander. By all means, call sin, sin, but love the sinner the way God does. Give them the hope of Jesus Christ. And at the end of the day, you and I are called to leave judgment and the law in the hands of God. We are called to serve him faithfully, loving him supremely, and loving others selflessly. And understand this, God will take care of his role. He always does. We can rest and trust in him and take care of what he's called us to take care of. Because slanderous speech is rebellion against God's reign and law, I must seek his help to live in his love in all that I do and say towards others. 
Many a friendship has been lost over something someone else said. Many a relationship has ended because of the careless words spoken by one in that relationship or other people looking in on that relationship. Many a home has been broken because of deadly heart attitudes about others that have been cultivated and have come out in hurtful words spoken about another in that home. And just so you know, broken homes do not mean that people don't live together or quit living together. There are many broken homes where people are married. But that home's been broken for a long time. And it goes back to things like this. Many a church has suffered tremendous pain because of careless, slanderous words spoken by its members about others. And God calls his children to act in a way that shows complete trust in him, devotion to him, and his love to others. And how we treat other people is a tremendous indicator of our walk with God. Your words to and about others will either build them up or wound them, either with their knowledge or without it. So very simply, I ask you this morning, how are your relationships with others? Do you have those in your life that you have spoken slanderous things about that you need to make right? How sad is it that in families and in workplaces, in churches, in other spheres of influence, that we just exist or we just get along all because we refuse to make something right? We know there's something and they know there's something, but we just don't deal with it and so we just make it work. It doesn't work. Right? A refusal to admit your sin and to seek forgiveness is ungodly. You cannot enjoy true, unhindered fellowship with God with entertained sin in your life. You cannot usurp God and live in harmony with Him. God is the righteous lawgiver and the ultimate judge, so how does He see you today? Have you experienced salvation through Jesus Christ, or will you face the punishment you've earned for your sin? There is hope in Jesus Christ. You can have a relationship with God today. If you live in this world, which we all do, okay, you're here, so we live in this world, you are going to have a problem with someone else. There's your inspirational message for the day. Even the best Christian you know, even the person you think is the most godly person, is a sinner saved by grace. And I praise the Lord, okay, I feel bad if you walked in here today, maybe it's one of your first Sundays, you think, man, this church is falling apart. <laughs> this is why, I preach exposit- uh, why we preach through the Bible, right? Because we deal with things as God wants to deal with them. I praise the Lord that our church, in general, as a pastor, I feel like we understand what it means to love one another the way God loves us. But there's always room to grow. And more than that, you know what Satan's going to go after in a church? The relationships of people with other people. If he can get you out of sync with God, he'll do it in a heartbeat. He will destroy anything good that God has from the inside out. We see it over and over and over again in Scripture and in our life around us. We must resolve today to refrain from engaging in the slander of others and seek the speedy restoration of relationships with others when sin occurs. 
And so maybe you are here today. Maybe you, you've thought about these things. You've, you've looked at the scripture and God has just hammered away at your heart. And you say, I know exactly what it is. I need to get right. I encourage you, don't wait. It's really easy to sit there in the pew. I've done it a million times. You sit there in the pew and you think, I'm going to fix that as soon as, I, as soon as the service gets out. And things get busy and you go home and you've got to have lunch. And, you gotta, and by the afternoon, it's like, yeah, it's not a big of a deal. Right? Don't delay on it. Make it a priority. Or maybe you sit there and say, you know, as far as I know, everything I, right now, in this area at least, God, God and I, I have a clear conscience. Then resolve today how you're going to deal with these things when they come up. Because I'm telling you, they're going to come up. And you say, well, I don't know when it's going to come up. Well, if you've got brothers and sisters, you're, maybe you're a teenager or a kid, it might come up this afternoon, okay? How are we going to deal with these things? Understand that God's grace isn't only great enough to cover sin between you and him, which is every sin that we have. It's great enough to cover that sin between you and another person and restore your relationship. That's the wonderful grace of God. And may we, through God's grace, seek to follow him and humble ourselves before him and live in such a way that we exalt him to others. And we we love him supremely, we love others selflessly, and we reflect him to a lost and dying world and we build up and edify brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for the life-changing power of your word that we have read again today. Lord, we don't deserve how good you are to us because Lord, even as we think about the transforming work of the gospel, we also think about how often we are tempted, as Paul says, to conform, to be pressed into the mold of what the world is. Lord, we ask that you would convict us of our sin, make us more like our Savior. Lord, I truly don't know what every person in this room is dealing with. Lord, I pray that you would use your word and speak to our hearts today. Would you prepare us for anything that may lay ahead? I mean, we, we tomorrow may have dropped in our laps Something of this very nature where we're tempted to slander another person or be involved in something like that. Lord, would you help us to respond in a biblical way? If there's someone you've laid on our hearts that we need to make something right with, would we go and do that today and not, not delay on that? May we do that that we can enjoy restored, unbroken fellowship with you. And Lord, again, I pray that for the one who is struggling with their salvation, who is wrestling with what it means to live for eternity and not face the punishment of their sin, would you convict their heart of sin today? Would you, would you give them the courage to speak to someone to find the answers within your word? We ask that this place would be a place where you are glorified and honored and lifted up. And we ask that you would give us a great afternoon. May we live for you and may you bring us back here tonight to worship you. In your name we pray, amen.